1 verses 1 through to 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we have lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message, and the joy was given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. The Lord's message rung out from you, not only in Macedonia and Archaea. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from the idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us the coming wrath, from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for that reading, Tori. And uh, this uh, probably is the last sermon you'll hear this year, but uh, as exciting as that is, I'm more excited that it's the first sermon that Abigail Barrel is ever going to hear. So no one can ever take that away from us, Abigail. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that they are new every year. Father, whatever we have been through this year, we praise you that you are faithful, that you are God, that you have been with us through it all. And we pray with thanks knowing that you already know what next year holds for us. We ask, Father, that you would use this time together now to encourage our hearts that whatever that may be, that the future holds for us, that we would face it with you, knowing your goodness, your love, and living for you in everything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we don't often get to have church on New Year's Eve, so I feel like I should talk about that. I feel like I should talk about New Year's resolutions or something like that. Uh, hopefully you've either you've already made some good resolutions if you're going to do that or you've already decided that those are silly and I'm not going to try and convince you otherwise. So instead of talking about that, I thought I would ask you to consider a question with me this morning. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I don't think in our culture these days we are very good at waiting. We're, we're an instant gratification kind of a world, aren't we? Uh, if, if you have a question, something you want to know, you don't have to wait, you don't have to go down to the library and research it, you just get your phone out and you ask Google or Siri. Uh, if you want to buy something, you don't save up for it, you use your credit card. You could even do that on your phone before the end of this talk if you wanted to. Uh, please don't do that. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't wait a week for the next episode of our favourite TV show. We stream an entire season in two or three nights of binge watching. We, we don't do waiting very well. And yet, I suppose the kind of waiting that I'm talking about this morning and wanting you to think about with me is a little bit different. The kind of waiting I think we want to, we want to think about this morning is what are you looking forward to in a much bigger sense? What is it that 
gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what is it that keeps you going when life gets hard? What, what is your hope for the future? That kind of waiting. As you look ahead to 2018, how would you answer those questions? What gets you excited? What are you waiting for? And then it's good to think, is there a kind of waiting that is distinctively Christian? If we think about waiting, does the gospel shape the way that we think about waiting? Well, the answer is yes, in a very big way. And you probably saw it in the passage. The answer, the thing that shapes our waiting, is Jesus. Sunday school answer, I know, but look back at verse 10 and you'll see it there again. Christians are people who wait for God's Son from heaven, the one whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to live life now waiting for Jesus? How will that shape things for us in 2018? What difference will it make? How is it better to wait for Jesus than to wait for anything else that the world could offer you? So we're going to spend the next few minutes thinking about those questions as we get ready to launch into another new year. We're going to do it uh, from the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Now, now really quickly, some, some background to get us oriented to the passage that we're looking at. Uh, this, this is written, the, the letter of 1 Thessalonians is written by three people, uh, Paul, Silas and Timothy, but primarily by Paul. As you read through the letter, you see that come out a few times. And Thessalonica was one of the places that Paul visited during his missionary travels as he experienced his dramatic conversion and then went around preaching the gospel of Jesus and if you want to read about it, you can read about it in Acts chapter 17. Paul went to Thessalonica, preached the gospel, and his time there was, in most ways, a big success because many, many people were converted and their lives were turned around as they started following Jesus. But there was another response as well, and that was the response of jealousy and hatred. As some became Christians, others hated what was happening and they turned violent, they started rioting, life became very difficult. Paul, in fact, had to flee the city and the Christians who were left behind were facing serious persecution. And Paul knew that as he fled, as he went on to other places, he knew that the Thessalonians were facing persecution. You can imagine what that was like for him. So what he did was he sent Timothy, one of his colleagues, back to Thessalonica to see how they were going, to encourage them, to find out, are they persevering? And the great news is, Timothy brought back the report, yes, they're persevering. They're still going. They haven't given up. They're following Jesus and they're growing. And so Paul writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians really to do two things. One is to encourage them to keep going, to spur them on. Uh, and the second one is to celebrate with them, to, to give thanks, to, to let them know how their perseverance has encouraged him and his colleagues. And that, that second point is really what the whole first chapter is about. It's just a short chapter. We read the whole thing. Paul, in that chapter, is really seeking to encourage the Thessalonians by saying to them, you guys are going great. Praise God. Here's the ways that it's encouraged us. And so it's a great chapter to work through. I'd love to have more time to go through the whole thing. We're going to focus just on the last couple of verses in a moment. But if you run your eyes with me over just the whole chapter, just to get a sense of the kind of things he's talking about. First of all, in verse 2, he thanks God for their faith 
and their love and their hope. Those three words that so often go together as a summary of the Christian life, faith, hope and love. But what jumps out is that in this case, he's celebrating the fact that their faith and their hope and their love produce something. Did you notice that? It's faith producing work. It's love producing labour, a sacrificial love and putting yourself out for the sake of others. And it's hope that produces endurance, the ability to keep going when things are hard and you don't know what the future holds. So faith, hope and love. Then in verse 4, Paul celebrates the way that they received his message. So he says, he praises God that they didn't receive it just as words, but as the message of God from God's spirit. He's not diminishing the importance of words at all, but he is saying he knows that the Christian message is more than words in the sense that it's not something that people will respond to on their own. It takes the work of God's spirit to bring the right response. Great encouragement for us, isn't it, that if we can see in our lives that we have responded to the gospel, we don't just take the credit for that ourselves and think, yeah, I'm, I'm smart, I figured it all out. No, we praise God for that because his spirit has opened our eyes to the truth. That's what Paul praises God for there. And then thirdly, he praises God for the role models that the Thessalonians followed, but also the role models that the Thessalonians became. Uh, You see that in verse 6, 7 and 8. He says that he rejoices that they imitated him and his colleagues, uh, specifically when it came to their willingness to suffer. And as they did that, as they lived out the Christian life imitating him, they became role models to others. Great encouragement to us, isn't it, that we, that we would choose the right role models in our Christian life, but also that we would think, who can I be a role model to? As I make godly decisions, who can I encourage through doing that? So Paul gives thanks for all those things and celebrates all those things that God has done in them. And so there's lots there that we could think about. But as the passage comes to a close, those last couple of verses, just a few things to focus on here for the last few minutes. Turning, serving, and waiting. Did you see those three things in those last few verses? Just pick it up in verse 9 and we'll take another look at this. Uh, They, that is the Macedonians and the Archaeans, mentioned back in verse 7 and 8, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. And there's those three key ideas, turning, serving, and waiting. See, in a sense, the Christian life starts with the whole idea of turning. Uh, A word we sometimes use is repenting, turning back to God turning away from false idols, from false gods, and turning to the true and living God. Uh, Thessalonica was around about 80 kilometres away from Mount Olympus, which was where the Greek gods supposedly had their residence. And so you can imagine that for the Thessalonians, actual idols, you know, literal idols, would have been part of their experience of life in, in that kind of culture. And so we can hear that and we can think, well, yeah, turning from idols, that's not really a thing for me. I don't have too many statues around my house. But as you read through the Bible, you you see, don't you, that idolatry 
is not about little wooden statues. Idolatry is about whatever it is in our lives that we set up in the place of God. Idolatry is about the reality that every single human being has taken some created thing, whether it's just themselves in one way or another or another person or another thing, we've taken something and we've put it in the place of God. We've let our hearts be taken away with that thing and delighted in that thing and we haven't treated God that way. We haven't obeyed God nor have we loved him the way that we should. And so that fundamentally is what idolatry is and that is why for every person the Christian life begins with turning, turning away from that attitude and turning back to God. And yet I I don't think this is a one-time thing. I don't think this is something where if you've been a Christian for many years, you can go, well, I've, I've already done that, I've already turned. I think the right way to think about it is to say the Christian life is daily turning, daily repenting. We, we prayed that just before, didn't we, in our prayer of confession. We said, we repent and turn to you. John Calvin, the, the great reformer, said that the, the, the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We're, we're always tempted, aren't we, by something in the world, something that can take our hearts away from God. Good question to ask any day, what is it for me today? What do I need to turn from, either that has captured my heart or potentially could capture my heart and take me away from devotion to the one true God? So turning is the first thing Paul highlights. Secondly, he highlights serving. The Thessalonian Christians were serving the true and living God. Uh, Being a Christian isn't just about turning back to God, receiving the forgiveness we need, but then somehow going on in the same old life that we had before. Uh, Living the Christian life is actually about reorienting our priorities, reorienting the things that we do, reorienting who it is that we serve. And so we're not just now to live to serve ourselves, to to make our own lives better, to do what we want, but we're to live looking outward at each other, thinking how can I love and serve my Christian brothers? How can I love and serve brothers and sisters? How can I love and serve those that God places around me? How can I love and serve the true and living God in everything that I do? So we turn, we serve, and we wait. This is where we started and where I want us to spend our last few minutes. We wait. We're all waiting for something, aren't we? At any given moment, we're all waiting for something. Life is lived inevitably with eyes on the future. We're, We're hoping for something. We're anticipating something. And waiting is, in one sense at least, it's always hard. It's the nature of waiting. If You wouldn't say, I can't wait, if it was easy to wait. You're thinking something good is coming and I want it to be here now, whatever that something is. The the truth is, though, isn't it, sometimes our waiting ends in disappointment. I, I don't want to be the Grinch who stole Christmas or anything here, but I wonder if any of us have experienced that in the last week. That sense, Christmas Day is gone. Was that it? You know, we we waited. It felt like days and weeks and decorations up everywhere and preparations and everything, and then the day is just, it's gone. And you think, was that that it? I've got to wait another year for another one of those? 
and we'll get excited again and then it'll be gone. And Sometimes our waiting is disappointed. And we can, we can even set our whole lives up this way, can't we? We can set up life where we're sort of thinking, oh, you know, I, I can't wait to get my first job so I can start making some money. And I can't wait to have some money saved in the bank. And then I can't wait to spend that money on something. And then I can't wait to buy my first house. And I can't wait to start a family and get married and maybe have children. And, and I can't wait to see those children go off to school. And I can't wait to see those children finish school and move out of home. And I can't wait for them to have children so I can become a grandparent and see my grandchildren go to school. And we just keep kicking the can down the road. And yeah, there's great moments along the way, but sometimes that sense of waiting leaves us frustrated, doesn't it? Here's the great news from this passage. If the thing you are waiting for is Jesus, the waiting will never disappoint. It will far surpass your expectations. Whatever it is that we hope for in this world may realise our hopes it may even surpass them, but then it's gone. Brothers and sisters, the great news of waiting for Jesus is that every day we spend with him in eternity will be as perfect as the one before and the one after. It will never disappoint. You know, sometimes you think too much of a good thing, you can get bored. Eternity with Jesus is not going to be like that. It's not going to be like Christmas. Oh, is that it? It's going to be perfect. The, the cry of the Christian heart should always be, I cannot wait to see my Saviour face to face. I cannot wait to be finally and decisively redeemed from my sin and to know that I've been rescued from God's wrath. I cannot wait to have this sin-riddled, ageing and decaying body taken away and, re and replaced with my resurrection body, just like the one Jesus had. I cannot wait to be part of a world where God wipes every tear from our eyes and there is no more suffering, there is no more pain, no more sin. I cannot wait to be with my saviour and my friend Jesus forever and ever. That's the cry of our heart. I cannot wait. Unfortunately, we have to wait because God has decided to delay the return of Jesus. And we live in this age now where we've experienced the first coming of Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas, but we haven't experienced the second coming. And that's what we're waiting for. God keeps this gap between the two so the gospel can be preached, so that more people can be saved. But we have to wait. We're waiting for the second coming. Shouldn't Christmas be about that as well as celebrating the first coming? Shouldn't it also be about waiting for the second coming? Saying the first coming was great, but the second coming, I can't wait for that. And so as we, as we wait for Jesus to return, whenever that may be, we know that it's going to be hard. In some ways, the, the better the thing you're waiting for, the harder it is to wait. We know it's going to be hard to wait but we know that the thing we are waiting for is wonderful beyond anything we could experience in this world. When we live with our eyes fixed on that, 
when we focus on the return of Jesus and we wait for that, we're testifying to ourselves and to the world, God always keeps his promises. The first coming of Jesus is testimony to that, isn't it? Everything in Jesus' life, his death for us, his resurrection, his ascension, shows that God keeps his promises and as surely as those things have happened, he will come again. When we wait for that, we testify that God always keeps his promises. When we wait for Jesus to return, we're declaring to the world, this world isn't all there is. There is something bigger. Heaven is my home, and I'm waiting for my saviour to return, so I mustn't live as though this world is all there is. My priorities can change. Some of the anxieties that grip me and and threaten to crush me, I can let go of those things because however difficult things are in this life, I know that God has a perfect heavenly home prepared for me. When we wait for Jesus to return, we, we realise that our choices in this life matter because we're not just dust waiting to return to dust. We are something more than that. When we wait for Jesus to return, it fills our hearts with hope because we know that our eternal future with him is secure. Not because we're wonderful, but because he's wonderful. Because he's saved us. He's promised that he's going to bring us to that home with him. When we wait for Jesus to return, we can persevere through suffering. We may not know what the suffering is for. We may not like it. Some of you know this personally, don't you? As you think back over this year. Some of you know that It's in those darkest moments when you find that your heart suddenly cries out, come Lord Jesus. It's when you want him to return the most is when things are the hardest. And we can persevere through suffering by waiting for Jesus, by fixing our eyes on that day to come when he will return and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. When Jesus returns... It will be more wonderful than anything we could imagine. And the light and momentary troubles that we face in this world will pale compared to the glory that he's prepared for us. So my prayer for us, whatever it is that you're waiting for as 2018 gets ready to make its appearance, my prayer for all of us is that we will spend 2018 and every day waiting for Jesus, letting letting that fuel us to live the kind of lives that God wants us to live right now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you're a God who keeps your promises. We thank you for keeping your promises in the first coming of your son. And we thank you that we can wait with certainty knowing that your son will come again as you've promised. We thank you that when that happens, we'll be brought with him into the eternal home that he has prepared for us. And we ask, Father, by the, by the power of your spirit, that you would enable us to wait, looking to that day, looking to his return, that that might fuel us to live the kind of lives you want us to live now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.